Hi, this is Dick Peach from the Evanston Environmental Association. You're listening to WCGO Radio 1590 and 95.9, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Think about your body. It's pretty warm to begin with, 37 degrees Celsius or 98 Fahrenheit. Then imagine it goes up a degree Celsius or nearly 2 degrees Fahrenheit, as the temperature of the Earth already has. That's worrisome. It's not normal. You start to feel it. You're overheated, achy, tired. You go to the doctor. The doctor says, yes, you are running a fever. And it's not just some illness you picked up somewhere. No, your doctor says, and they add, they've consulted with nearly every other doctor in the world, and they agree too. This fever is the result of your lifestyle choices. This is exactly what's happening with the earth. We are running a fever. And as we talk about in the Global Weirding episode on natural cycles, none of the usual suspects are responsible this time. It's not the sun, it's not volcanoes, and it's not the Earth's orbit. It's our lifestyle choices, specifically burning coal and gas and oil, that's about three quarters of the problem, and the other quarter is deforestation and agriculture. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Zebra zones and traffic climbs. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. Right. Attention. Attention, attention. There is a sighting of the sun this morning. Actually, there was a sighting of the sun yesterday. Mm-hmm. It didn't stay all day, but uh, yeah. you got to love it here in the Midwest. It's uh, been a, a long, cool spring. We got some warm temperatures. And, and, and I was thinking about that, uh, talking about it on the show. And we, we, we tend to talk about it every week. And for folks who are not gardeners, uh, they might be saying, well, why do you talk about that every week? Well, because this is not normal, folks. This is something... Uh, a little different. In, in fact, this is not normal. That's uh, exactly, Mr. President. Thank you very much for pointing that out to us. Uh, it has been a crazy spring, but we're now we're in summer. We hit the solstice, where the uh, the the Earth uh, is at. Uh, all right, I'm aphelion, right? Not perihelion, but aphelion, right? I think so. I think so, which means it's at its farthest point. From the sun. But and the tilt is going exactly. in our favor. Exactly. We are favor. tilted toward the sun, which is why we have 
summer, you know, and this is mm-hmm. this is for that TV show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? This is what they learn. This is why we have summer. Uh, but we're not the closest point to the sun. We're the farthest point from the sun. But it, it makes me think that no wonder it's so hot in Australia in mm-hmm. their summer. Yep. Because they're close to the sun and they're tilted toward the sun. There you go. Anyway, today on the show, we're very happy to have our Bartlett representative here with us in studio. That is Scott Stringer. We do this about every six weeks or so. We bring in the Bartlett guys and we say, what the heck? Okay, because uh, and Peggy, you've you've got uh, visual aids here. We have foliage or what's left of it here. Really, we were looking at that before the show. Let me say hi to Scott. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well. Thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Later in the show, we've got a lot of interesting things. There's a controversy at Montrose Beach about a couple of birds, uh, and not just the birds. And that's the point I'm going to make when we talk to the folks we have on the program this morning. It's about the natural area there along Montrose Beach, and it's being threatened by a concert. Yep, folks, 50,000 people waving and stomping. What could possibly go wrong to the natural area there? I can't even imagine that those 50,000 people could cause any problem at all because they're all so well-behaved and they'll just do what they're told. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, and we're also talking about how art might help the planet, uh, which is, you know, art does change the world, but can it get people to think about climate change? We're going to find that out later in the program as well with Christine Esposito from Terracom. And Liam Hennigan from DePaul University, by the way, the folks who are going to be with us uh, to talk about the piping plover on Lake Michigan, that's the species of the bird, mm-hmm. Leslie Bournes and Carl Giametti. So uh, that's all later. But we start with trees and Scott here. We're going to break in a second. Give us uh, 30 seconds about your background there, Scott. Well, I am a product of the desert. I came from California, Southern Mojave Desert. Really? Okay. And uh, so not a lot of trees in that environment, but uh, (laughs) I decided to take it uh, 360 and go up to Humboldt State for my undergrad, so up in the temperate Mm -hmm. rainforest. And then I've lived in uh, Colorado, uh, Montana, and Alaska working for city forestry. So I did a lot of uh, urban forestry, arboriculture. And then I... Found a lady that uh, brought me to Illinois, and I've been here for seven years working for Bartlett. So. Not that long. We might have to talk temperate rainforest. I love mm-hmm. the temperate rainforest. All right. Scott Stringer from Bartlett. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Want to put more life into your backyard soil? The folks at Blazing Star Nursery were amazed at how biologicals from a company called Tinyo helped transform a barren former cornfield to a vibrant native landscape. Now they recommend those products to home gardeners. Tinyo's microbial mycorrhizal fungi and enzymes can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Go to blazing-star.com and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. 
DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. This is Mark Dvorak, and you're getting environmentalism, gardening, green living, local food information, and sometimes even humor, sometimes musical humor, on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. on WCGO Radio 1590 and 95.9. What would Sunday morning be like without <laughs> Fats Waller? All right. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show. Peggy Malecki, I'm going to, uh, what, we're, what we're trying to tell you, Ellie, and uh, we're waving to Ellie and she's not getting it. Just take shot, shots of this. We don't need a, a group shot in the, uh, in the studio here with all of us. Getting close. In fact, I'll tell you what, get Scott to hold this. <laughs> yeah, get Scott. We're going to. Uh, hold it. Yeah, hold it up like that, that. That began life as an oak leaf. That's right. And, uh, we're taking shots of the oak leaves that Peggy brought in here because we're going to post these on Instagram. And she, you got these from your neighbor, right? Down the block. Yeah. Uh, and how did you spot these? On the ground, on the tree, just kind of walking by. Why are all these oak leaves down on the ground? And you could see the low in June. In okay. June. Um, you could falling see, off the tree, yes. right? Yeah, see some of the low ones just looking all blistered with gall. And uh, we have Scott Stringer, who's uh, an arborist representative for Bartlett Tree Experts, a great sponsor of the Mike Novak Show, in full disclosure here. And in the previous segment, we talked about the crazy spring, and it continues to be crazy, even though now it's summer. So we've lurched mm-hmm. into summer, but it, we'll see how crazy the summer is compared to the spring. But you're seeing a lot of this kind of stuff, aren't you, Scott? Yeah, this spring has definitely been uh, different than any other spring that I've ever witnessed in, in Illinois. Uh, the, the excessive moisture over early spring leading into still today uh, has caused a lot of abiotic plant problems, meaning not insect or disease related. There, there's a lot of diseases that are a result of the weather, but uh, really the, the root zone impacts of flooding and uh, excessive moisture have caused a lot of problems. We were just talking about the burning bush here that's got uh, kind of some white, whitish color leaves. Right. Uh, what I think I've been seeing quite a bit is it seems like there's so much moisture that a lot of the nutrients are actually getting leached out of the soil. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my own personal theory on it. I don't uh, have any background. You're not to... <laughs> the only one, though. I've talked to other people. We were well, at the, the plant health care report said that, too. Uh, yeah, that's part of it. In fact, I'm going to read something from that in a second. But uh, we were at the Shed Aquarium. Uh, last week and you could see this row of maple trees there and one was at and, and they start at the top of this hill and they sort of go down this incline and at the top of the hill it's much greener than the ones at the bottom of the hill in fact the ones at the bottom of the hill were yellow mm-hmm. the leaves and they're 
unlike a lot of areas in uh, around Chicago, they have sandy soil. So you can just imagine all with all this rain, all the nutrients being washed through and the plants getting chlorotic. But even even in areas away from the lake, you're you're seeing some of that, aren't you? Yeah, my primary uh, territory for Bartlett is in Naperville, mm-hmm. and so I work kind of the, the far west area. And uh, we're seeing trees like crab apples. Um, crab apples? You don't think a crab apple is being a pH-sensitive plant. No, and, no. Uh, hmm. A lot of them are showing signs of chlorosis. And uh, same with flowering pear, which is, you know, not normally a, a problem being green. Uh-huh. The so, the calorie pears, is that what we're talking? Yeah. The, uh, any, our, our nemesis here yeah, on the show. Yeah. The, uh, the <laughs> We always joke about how fire blight is probably a benefit to pear trees. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. But, but we do have a lot of clients who really care about their pears, and so we, we try to take care of them as best possible. Uh, well, um, yeah. But well, we, they, they do. They love their white blooms, but I'll tell you, folks. Uh, when in doubt, rip it up. It's a <laughs> very invasive species. It is. It is. A, it's a terribly invasive species. And again, we, I'm not going to beat that horse, but, uh, it's, it, we've talked about it a lot on the show. Uh, the, I love the, the, the advice that a lot of arborists give, which is when you're trying to decide what tree to plant, look at your neighbor's yard and plant something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Diversity is definitely Diversity key. is a good thing. And if you can go native, uh, a great thing too. For sure. Uh, so, we brought in those oak leaves. And by the way, folks, here's your chance. You got your Arbor's representative. Uh, Scott is from the Bolingbrook area. You're out of the Bolingbrook office of Bartlett Tree Experts. Correct. Uh, with Skeet, right? Yep. Who's like got his feet up in a hammock today. Is that what's going on? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Skeet's uh, working right now. Yeah, you know, I bet he is uh, on a Sunday. I'm I'm sure you guys work pretty much every day of the week. You, you work Especially when, this year. Yeah, when you can get to it, right? Well, we definitely, it's a seven-day operation for most of us. Yeah, and I want to let folks know, we got the Arborist representative here. Give us your questions, 877-711-5611. Call in. Don't be shy. Maybe we'll even give you something. In fact, you call in. I will make sure you get a, why? Why are you laughing, Peggy? Well, I'm just thinking of all the books on our shelves. Uh, uh, well, not only that, <laughs> I got I got the, the box of goodies here. Oh. I've got some stuff in there. I think I've got Roy Diblick flashcards. I've got a Roy Diblick flashcards. Yeah, Roy Diblick, who's going to be on the show, by the way, on uh, on July twenty first. He's going to sit in here for like like Scott is for an entire hour, and we are just going to wax poetic on perennials. All right, Ooh, Roy Diblick, be a great show. Uh, who's a, one of the great plant growers. In the area, do you know Roy by any chance? I do not. Oh, okay. He's at uh, Northwind Perennial Farm uh, in Burlington, um, uh, Wisconsin, and he grew <laughs> twenty-two thousand of the plants that got put into the Lurie Garden uh, back uh, when it was being planted. So he knows his stuff. Very nice. Uh, but anyway, I could give you his flashcards. I've got a um, Urban Wood uh, card holder, business card holder, which is really cool. Uh, I believe it's uh, from an ash tree. <laughs> and went belly up, uh, and they all kinds of stuff. So 877-711-5611, if you got a tree care question, you will get a prize. However, that said, you can also write to us on Facebook. You can tweet us. Uh, we'll take something on Twitter. Uh, I suppose we should even look at Instagram, but that, we'll leave that to Ellie uh, to do that. And any tree care question, uh, stump the Scott. Is what we got, uh, and uh, and and ask him about California trees because he uh, he knows something about that, don't you? Any of the mountain states, uh, California, really? Yeah. Wow, I, I had and a, Alaska, and Alaska, and Alaska. Yeah. I, I want to get to Alaska so bad. Uh, but 
I love the uh, temperate rainforest in the Pacific Northwest. I had a vacation home there for 17 years in uh, on the Olympic Peninsula. Okay. So I know what it's like. The Sitka spruce yeah. and the western hemlocks and western red cedars and Douglas firs are just amazing, amazing plants and a lot of other stuff there, too. Yeah. Well, the Coast Redwood was obviously the, the biggest uh, asset we had in California. Right. Redwood National Park. Creek State Park. Why, why don't the coastal redwood grow farther up north? Just out of their range? Yeah, I think it's a soil and moisture uh, thing. You mm-hmm. know, in the summer in in hum- like I lived in Humboldt County in Arcata, uh, it doesn't rain that much. It, it stays foggy, and that moisture is what the trees take in. Right. But it really isn't raining like in the Seattle area. In the, well, you guess Olympic. what? You're wrong about that, and I hate to break it to you. Uh, Seattle has about the same rainfall as Chicago. And a lot of folks think it's just cloudier and uh, there's more drizzle than we get here. We get it in these huge swaths of rain. Yeah. And, this co- of course, with climate crisis upon mm-hmm. us, uh, we get them in, well, you, you've seen this year, what this year's like. But we get the rainstorms, whereas in Seattle, or at least they used to, and now they get heat waves that they never had before. And it's it's really strange out there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you're at in Washington. You know, if you're along the coast, uh, the Olympic National Park, that's one of the rainiest places in the country. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll average a, a more than 150 inches of rain yeah, a year. Yeah, and and I and I used to go out and walk in the rain and yeah. just loved it. Uh, so let's get back to Chicago. However, yeah. in the Midwest, you saw the oak trees, leaves that uh, Peggy brought in, and they're covered in galls. Explain what a gall is. Well, galls are caused by various insects. Um, this one on the, it looks like a bur oak leaf, uh, is probably caused by what's called an areified mite, which is a little microscopic mite that basically lays its eggs mm-hmm. in the leaf tissue. And then the tree's response is, is just a kind of a growth, a vegetative growth around well, to, it. To, to, to protect itself, to cover itself, uh, what? To protect the leaf itself, yeah. right? You don't want to have, uh, you know, chlorophyll leaching out of the leaves. And so it, it kind of... Just like dealing with all wounds, trees compartmentalize the, the problem. Hey, hang, hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if we can get this up here. Oh no no, leave leave the camera shot on. Leave the camera shot on. I need I need to see that. There we go. Because I want to see if we can get. There we go. There's the go, the leaf, and you can see some of the bumps on there. Let's see. There we go. I can't do, I don't know what direction to go in there anyway. <laughs> but you can see it on this one a little more. But Peggy mentioned that she saw a lot of leaves on the ground. Uh, galls typically are not a problem for trees. They, they're unsightly, but they typically are not taking away the food-making ability of the tree. Uh, oh, however, as Peggy pointed out, these are falling on the ground. And so it means the tree is losing its leaves. What will happen? Well, I don't think the gall is what's causing this leaf to, to drop. Uh, if you look at the petiole of the leaf, uh, where where the leaf connects mm-hmm. to the branch, you'll see that it's purple-black color. And to me, it looks like there's a, some kind of fungal canker that's causing the leaves to drop. So it's stressed and something else has moved in as right, well. Right, right. And it, it could be anthracnose. That's a, mm-hmm. a common fungus that hits many different trees. Anthracnose is what we're seeing, like on the sycamore trees this year. Yeah. That's well, a, you're not seeing it just on the sycamore because it's on a lot of we, different right, trees. Right, ash. We saw it on elm, what? Oaks. Were we looking at it on the other day? Um, elm. Elm. So it, wow. it's just more severe on the sycamores. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was in the plant well, health. Well, and that, and that was part too. of what the plant health care report from the Morton Arboretum said, and you guys 
uh, help sponsor the plant clinic at the Morton Arboretum, but they were talking about the other day and I, or last week, and, and I mentioned it uh, in Thracnos on an elm or uh, I guess maples as well. It's not that serious, but if you got it on a sycamore, it could be. Why is that? What's the difference? Well, there's three different funguses actually that, that hit the sycamores. Uh, they can affect the, the bud mm-hmm. and, the, and the twig as a canker. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can affect the new shoot growth and that causes the leaves to drop. And then they can also affect the leaves themselves. So as opposed to like the anthracnose on a silver maple where you see it just on the leaf, starts to curl the leaf a little, a little brown spot. Yeah. Then the leaf drops. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's not as severe because the tree's going to put out new leaves. But when you lose the whole tip and the bud and the shoot, that can be a, a major problem. Yeah. Yeah. So they, their advice was if you have anthracnose on your elm or your maple, eh, you know, you let it ride. You got it on your sycamore. You probably want to give somebody a call. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's preventative treatments. Uh, we do stem injections, and we inject quite a bit of, of product into the trees. Sometimes up to thirty, forty gallons. Um, it's a preventative treatment. So once uh-huh. the tree's infected with it, uh, there really isn't much you can do about it. Most trees are fine. Uh, but I got to tell you, I get it. I got my elm tree out in front. It's one of those hybrid elms that the city planted probably twenty years ago. And, um, and it gets anthracnose every year, almost every year. And cause a lot of our springs have been wet and spring does tend to be wet in general. Uh, and I just get it every, and now it, what's weird, the city planted two hybrid elms on my parkway and they're different kinds. Cause you can see the leaf is slightly larger on one than the other. The smaller leaf one gets the anthracnose every year. The larger leaf one does not. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking, well, I need to girdle that uh, <laughs> the, the one that gets anthracnose every year and leave the other one up there. But you could tell they were experimenting. And I know that the Morton Arb has been experimenting with different kinds of elms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suspect that they're one of those uh, varieties. Yeah, enough. there's a, probably 15 different species of hybrid elm out there. And uh, I know some of them are more or less susceptible to, to diseases and insect problems. The elm yeah. leaf beetle, elm flea weevil, uh, can be has a lot of impacts on the the hybrid elm trees. That's as well. the other thing I, I I get on that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the shot holes all over the leaves. Right, exactly. Right. So if you see those, explain uh, that insect. Well, I mean it's a leaf feeder, and it. And uh, what's the name of it again? Well, the, the elm leaf beetle uh, and elm flea weevil are the two main ones that that hit the elm trees. The hybrid elms. Elf leaf beetle. Elm leaf beetle. El- elm leaf beetle yeah. and the flea. Uh, elm flea weevil. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Yeah. But the leaf beetles are the, probably the most common and, and, uh, you know, they can be treated. They, they just cause the tree to stress a little bit. Right. Right. And that's what a lot, a lot of these are cosmetic problems. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to worry too much. All right. We've got some questions coming in. We have three on Facebook and one on the phone. Holy smoke. Let's, uh, let okay, we got about two minutes. Sure, let's 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 take the phone real quick, and then we'll get to Facebook. That is Matt from Park Ridge. Matt from Park Ridge. Good morning. You're on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for calling in. Appreciate first, it. Yes, uh, my question is for the arborist. Uh, we have a burning bush in our backyard that's been healthy for like fifteen to twenty years, but this spring is just loaded with dead branches that we've mm-hmm. trimmed off, and we don't know what caused it. To look like it's dying, and we don't know what to do with it. 
Well, I've looked at burning I bush every day. Off the dead branches. Yeah, and mine looks the same. Yeah, yeah. You're not alone, Matt. This is one of the consequences of a very harsh winter. Right. We had a couple of days of minus mm-hmm. 25 degrees, and that that literally drops us into a, a hardiness zone of a zone four. So a lot of shrubs uh, were decimated this winter, from boxwood to burning bush to uh, barberry, forsythia. I've seen many privet. So all these plants that we've had here for years never had a problem that this winter was just too much uh, for them. So that's just winter dieback that you have. A lot of them are, are growing new shoots from the bottom. And so depending on how severe yours is, uh, has died back, uh, the best thing to do is if you've got enough leaf area is to hold it, uh, hold on to it and let it be. And then in March, late March time frame, you can actually literally cut it to the ground and rejuvenate it and create a brand new shrub. If, if you've got a lot of leaf area still uh, on the plant and it's coming out of the bottom, you can cut it down to, you know, wherever that leaf grow, is growing from. You're, you're, you're saying that. So there, there still is hope for the bush itself? Yeah. I mean, where it's brown and yellow color, that's not mm-hmm. going to grow new leaves. So that would have to be pruned out. So, so you're the whole center section is probably yeah. right. So that's where you got to go down below that point to the green tissue. Well, and if it's in the center, then you can't you can't hollow it out and right. then just leave right. the outside. That's where it's so you taking gotta, it to the ground is yeah, the best option. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're gonna break here, Matt. Hang on just for a second, uh, if you can. We got two minutes, and we'll be back. It's the Mike Novak oh, okay. Show. Yeah, hang on. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening Chicago magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Now, we're going to do Down by Riverside. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. Two, three, four. Boom, boom, boom. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. <laughs> wow. This is what happens when you play uh, CD roulette. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very pleased to have in the studio the uh, Bartlett Arborist representative uh, from Bartlett Tree Experts. By the way, go to Bartlett.com. Why? Because every tree needs a champion. All right. There's the promo for the day. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, we're talking, uh, with Matt on the phone about burning bushes and what Matt is learning. And a lot of you have learned the hard way 
this spring is that burning bushes have taken a hit. Uh, I was looking at the plant health care report from the Morton Arboretum. In the Midwest, and I, and I suspect a lot of places on, in the northern tier of the country this year, uh, burning bushes have taken a hit. Boxwoods, we'll talk about boxwoods in a second. They've taken a terrible hit. Japanese maples, we talked to a guy yesterday. Peggy and I were at the Midwest Pond and Koi Society show, and a guy who's who collects Japanese maples. He's got 20-something on his property, and which to me is... That's a crop. That's not necessarily. <laughs> That's a herd. It is. And, uh, but a lot of them took hits. And one of the things that took a hit, uh, Matt, was the burning bush uh, for several reasons. One was we had brutally cold temperatures in Jan- right at the end of January. Uh, my plants have suffered from them. I have a rhododendron that did not bloom. It bloomed around as a skirt right around the bottom because I suspect those buds were below the snow line. And they got preserved. Everything else did not bloom. However, it didn't die. It's, it leafed out. It's fine. It just didn't bloom. Uh, a lot of plants were like that because all it needs is a couple of days of minus 25 constantly. And, uh, and so you're losing buds. I'm kind of surprised that my oak leaf hydrangea is blooming like a champ right now. I'm, I'm surprised that didn't take a hit. Uh, you know, so it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting which plants uh, suffer and which don't, right, Scott? Yeah, I mean, it really depends where those plants are native, you know. And like you talked about earlier, if, if we look towards planting more natives, they're going to have fewer problems even when we have those temperature yeah. drops. Right. So uh, you mentioned something during the break also that Matt might want to be aware of. Yeah, last year uh, burning bushes seemed to get really uh, impacted by the spider mites. Uh, you can notice spider mite damage by looking at the leaves and seeing these little white dots. And the best way to test to see if they're there is to take a white piece of paper with like a clipboard, shake the leaf over the paper, smear the paper, and you'll see these little smearings if they're there. Usually mm-hmm. they'll be green. They could be green or red. The green ones mean they're feeding on the plant. The red ones mean you have a, a balance of uh, bio predators that are feeding on the green ones. Really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. We actually do predaceous mite treatments. Uh, to to prevent bad mites from taking over. They call them biologicals, Biological controls. Yeah. Right. Uh, So that weakened the plants in the fall. So some of the the burning bushes in the fall got weakened by spider mites so that when they got zapped by the cold weather, they were already in a weakened state, and that added to some of the dieback. Sure. I'm sure that uh, a lot of the clients that I had, especially in South Naperville, where burning bush got hit hardest by Mm -hmm. the mites, uh, most of those plants have a lot of dieback. Yeah. So for Matt, I think he's still on the phone. Yeah, he's still here. Yeah, so he should just cut back in the middle of the plant and down to the ground. Yeah, I mean, and... you're going to have to cut beyond the dead zone, really. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, that's what I wanted to get in here and because we got Matt on the phone, and, and it's a chance for us to teach people about how what the difference between uh, rejuvenation pruning and renewal pruning is. Uh, re- rejuvenation is when you kind of go whole hog. Uh, renewal is when you're being selective about what you prune back. Uh, but you mentioned rejuvenation pruning before the break, Scott, and I want you to explain it again because we went through it quickly, and I don't think a lot of people understand exactly how that sure. might work. Yeah, and it really depends on the species you're dealing with. You have to know how it would react to that type of heavy pruning. So for species like dogwoods, uh, red twig dogwood, yellow twig dogwood, they get kind of big and gangly, and the stems start to fade and turn brown. Uh, if it's really overgrown, cutting it literally to one inch to two inches above the ground 
is rejuvenation pruning. When though? And the best timing is just uh, late March timeframe before bud break. Right. Uh, now is a little bit late. Uh, even for the burning bush. Even for the burning bush, if if they did right. it now, you know, I would say it's it's pretty likely it'll come back. But uh, it. So, but you're taking a chance. You are taking a chance. All right. So you can what you can do, Matt is. I would suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, is that he can cut out, well, he should cut out the dead wood first. Then what you do is you cut back some of the live branches so that it doesn't look uh, mutilated and ugly. <laughs> so you give it a little, <laughs> you give it a little bit of shape, Matt. And then next year, uh, just before it starts to bud out, cut it a couple of inches above the ground. And it should uh, pop back up. Right. You'll get a, about a foot or so of growth the first year. And the next year, you'll probably get two to three feet. And then by the third year, it'll be back up to four or five feet. Now, the question, Matt, I'm going to ask you is how many burning bushes do you have? Just the one. Oh, okay. So it's 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 not, you know, I was afraid you had a whole row of them. And if you cut them back, then, no. then, then for another year, you don't have anything. Uh, so no, this... but as I said, we've had it for 20 years and never had a problem with it until this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every uh, plant has an opportunity to have a problem at some point or another. Or it's the time to swap it yeah. out for a native. Yeah, so what I would do is cut out all the dead stuff, cut the, the, the stuff that's live, cut it back a little bit so that you got a nicer shape, uh, and then mm-hmm. next year... Right, right around when? Mid March? Yeah, late March, before late bud March. break. Yeah. Okay, yeah, before it comes back, cut it, uh, almost to the ground, like a couple of inches, uh, above the ground. And, uh, what, and you, is there anything we can do about those, uh, spider mites? Well, you have to treat the mites when they're present. And so, uh, oh, you know, okay. if, if you are interested in having Bartlett Tree Experts help you out, we do have four offices in the Chicagoland area. Uh, one's in, um, our, our office is in Bolingbrook. We have one in Lake Barrington, uh, Northbrook, and Chicago. So the Northbrook office would be able to help you out. Okay. Uh, Good suggestion. So here's what we're going to do, Matt. I want you, uh, we're going to put you on hold, and Ellie's going to get your information. Uh, your mailing address. We're going to send you a goodie. I don't know what it is because I, I was looking in my box of goodies here. I don't have it here. I've got it at home. Uh, but I'll send you something just for calling in. How's that? Sounds good. And thank you for all the good advice. Thank you for the question. Happy to help, Matt. We're trying, trying to make people happy because a lot of plants that are very common took a hit this winter and burning bushes. You know, I was kind of surprised when Peggy told me about her burning bushes because they're, they're, they're virtually indestructible. Uh, and to see uh, what has happened to burning bushes is kind of surprising. See that I can see my home through the burning I bushes. I can see your home through the burning bushes right there on your phone, <laughs> yeah. All right, Matt, uh, we'll put you on hold. Thanks for calling. All right, we're up to five questions now. All right, we better run through some of these questions on Facebook. Okay. Again, let me recap. We've got Scott Stringer in the studio, arborist representative for Bartlett Tree Experts. Go to Bartlett.com. Calm. What are the questions, Peggy? So the first one actually comes from, speaking of the Shedd Aquarium, Christine Nye, um, who has a question from a friend. When can we be sure that growing ash trees will be possible? Have the beetles moved on or are they here to stay? The beetles are definitely here to stay. They will not be moving on uh, so long as there are ash trees here for them to feed on. So most people are not planting ash trees anymore. And uh, it's a really unfortunate insect that's just causing you know, severe destruction of mm-hmm. ash trees all over the country now. And then uh, with the exception, we had uh, several last time we had skied on the program. We had Dave Johnson 
from uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. Rapid City doesn't have emerald ash borer because they're kind of an island there. The, you know, they've got these plains in these areas where they haven't gotten to. You're shaking your head. Well, I, I, when I was a city forester in Missoula, we said emerald ash borer would never make it to Montana because of the same reasons mm-hmm. that Rapid City says. And sure enough, it came into Boulder, and now it's into Fort Collins, and it'll be up into the, the entire mountain states. Uh-oh, Dave. Uh, warning, Dave Johnson out in uh, in <laughs> South Dakota. We, the emerald ash borer is on its way. Well, I think they're doing some prevention. Yeah, too. prevention's key. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's so, trying. To, he's trying. To, what? Unfortunately, what people were doing there is they're chopping down their ash trees, well, but then they don't have the the problem yet, that's, and that's not wise. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. a little severe. Yeah. <laughs> that's not prevention. That's, yeah. Well, we've we've got another ash borer question. This is from Joey Baird, who's up in Milwaukee. Okay. Um, he said he's got an ash tree uh, half dead already. When the tree's taken down, how's it best to dispose of it? Should he burn it, grind it up as mulch? Is the bore only in the trip, in the um, trunk, or is it also in the limbs? Uh, the best way to deal with it would be to chip it, because mm-hmm. once the wood's separated, the, the beetle's not going to live through that. So, uh, you know, we, we remove trees. We chip all the branches. Uh, the logs, if we can't grind them, we take them to a tub grinder, and they grind them up. Uh, the beetles uh, are in the trunk and in the branches, and so... The larvae is what really does all the damage. I mean, you yeah. think, think about how they make their little uh, chewing underneath the, the bark and into the uh, xylem tissues. I've only seen an actual emerald ash borer once. And I was uh, driving across Michigan, which is like ground zero for emerald ash borer, stopped at a roadside park and saw a bunch of dead ash trees. Well, they were almost dead. They were in severe decline. And I went over and I could see the little D-shaped exit mm-hmm wounds and as i'm looking a little emerald ash borer um just sort of flit and landed on the bark and i grabbed my camera i said i gotta get it no oh, and it flew away no it was, it was that was it but i knew they were there yep i've wow. only seen probably two or three in in mm-hmm. my seven years of managing it so yeah they're tiny they're, and they take off yeah they're just elusive i mean you but it's the them. larvae that are causing the issues right 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 uh, got another question, Peggy? I'm enjoying just sort yeah. of sitting back here. You, you're doing all the, the heavy lifting. Uh, I have an old tree with a few roots that run above ground. When I mulch, should I make sure to cover those roots or not? Yeah, it's fine to cover the roots. Um, I would recommend covering them with soil and then mulch over that. When you mulch, uh, mulch holds a lot of moisture, which is a good thing for the most roots. But there's so many people out there that are mulching improperly. You want to make sure that the mulch doesn't come into contact with any of the the bark or the trunk or the root flares themselves where it kind of flares out at the mm-hmm. base. Uh, I see a lot of decline on trees because of improper mulching. So, I wanted to uh, take a photo. Yesterday we were at the Max in McCook, Illinois, at uh, the Midwest Pond and Koi Society event. We went outside. Did you see the volcano mulch around those trees? I caught it. You, you obviously weren't paying attention because – I went out and my head nearly exploded. And I was going to take a photo. In fact, when we were doing live video, I was going to say, hey, run that video yeah, out here. Yeah, let's go look out here. It, yeah. it was some of the worst wow. volcano mulching I've ever seen. Hey, you folks at the Max, you're not, you don't know how to mulch your trees. <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you right now. I'm just, I'm. Uh, call Bartlett. Yeah, give Bartlett Tree Experts a call. Just go to Bartlett.com. All right, I can hear the music, which we, we means we need to take a break. You've got more questions, right, Peggy? Uh, I think I have at least one here. All right, and you can still call us at 877-711-5611, and my offer still stands. I'll, I'll give you something if you call in with a tree care question. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We shall return. 
spring is finally in the air, and the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are taking applications for this year's garden competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as the garden is in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. That's chicagogardeningawards.org. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Everybody sing. Or play air guitar. You don't think that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to mess with Uriah Heep, do you? You got to love. You know, uh, what? This is not even that famous a song, and we're fading it out right now. There we go. What are you looking Cobwebs. at? Cobwebs. Coming from the ceiling okay. to the microphone. All right. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have in studio Scott Stringer. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. We'll get back to Scott from Bartlett Tree Experts after this. Because we're talking interesting things here, but you can always count on something interesting going on at City Grange, which is Chicago's newest and most unique garden center. Sometimes it's a weekday, sometimes on the weekend. For instance, this Thursday, June 27th, stop by for sedum and succulent container creation from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Then next Saturday, June 29th, refresh your containers with summer plants. Regardless of the day, their goal is to remove every barrier to your gardening success, including parking, because as always, complimentary valet parking is on weekends, and that means today. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. City Grange, united we blossom. And right here on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki this morning, we are talking with Bartlett Tree Experts because that's what you guys do. You guys are into science. We were talking earlier off air. uh, Peggy and I went down to North Carolina uh, to see the Arboretum down there, and it's a pretty cool place. And we got to see a a lot and a lot of down there. So Definitely. uh, Yeah. And you've been down there, of course, too. I have it, and one of the coolest things about the the research lab is one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, arboretum of magnolias 
in the country. Yeah. yeah. They were just leafing uh, bl- uh, blooming uh, when we were down there yeah. in the, March. The lipstick magnolias. Yeah. We're just starting to blossom. Yeah. The, uh, Greg Page is the kind of the curator of that. Yeah. And he's a, he's a really great uh, horticulturist. Yeah. Uh, and artist. guess what, folks? Uh, magnolias are moving into our area. <laughs> Thanks to, to climate change, it's getting a little easier to grow them here. Although... Uh, I wondered, had, did you notice magnolias that, well, they wouldn't have gotten zapped by the, the cold weather because it was before the buds had formed, right? Or yeah, did, no, it seemed like a pretty good year for yeah. magnolias. Yeah, my magnolias were fabulous this year. Yeah. I've got one very old tree, and they were great. And it's it just seems weird that it's a tree that is uh, traditionally known to have problems with cold weather in the spring, and yet we had the polar vortex descend upon us, and those trees did well, but the burning bushes <laughs> got hit hard. Yeah. Uh, and boxwoods. All right, we haven't yeah. mentioned the boxwoods. Yeah, and Audrey's asking about that. She says, what do I do about them? It's brown in some areas. About the boxwoods? Yeah. Well, uh, it depends uh, how brown they are. I had uh, a lot of clients with a lot of boxwood dieback this year. And most of them, uh, a lot of them were the winter gem variety, which you would think with a name like winter gem, they'd be <laughs> cold tolerant, but they're not. Yeah. So um, in his case, we they had to remove all of them. Uh, because they were just so far gone that they were not coming back. A lot of them are like that. And if your boxwood is primarily brown at this point, you're you're taking it out. You're, you're getting rid of it. And here's what I would tell you. And I know, and this is for you people with burning bushes too. They're not native. Uh, you might want to replace it with a, a native shrub. I know people love their boxwoods. They love their burning bushes. Uh, but burning bushes are invasive. Box, boxwoods, not so much. Uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's hard just to get a boxwood to survive. Uh, but burning bushes, they will end up in our forests and they will un- end up in our understory. You're not doing uh, nature a favor by planting too many burning bushes. So this is an opportunity. If the tree goes bad, or I'm sorry, the shrub goes bad and it dies or it declines, why not replace it with something native? Uh, I don't want to sucker punch you here, Scott, but do you have any at the top of your head that you would suggest people get for this area? For a uh, shrub? Yeah. Well, the, the difficulty is we don't have a lot of options for understory shrub planting. That are like those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the reality is in, in the suburban world, we're planting species that we like the way they look. You know, aesthetics is a big part of the landscape. And it's it's pretty difficult to plant your urban yard with native landscapes because when you think about how, especially in new subdivisions are formed, they scrape all the topsoil off mm-hmm. and then they try to put a tree in with two inches of topsoil yeah. and it's not going to do well regardless of the species. So, I, Well, here's uh, some that I'm looking at here. Of course, these are native uh, chokeberry is one, aronium, right. viburnums. Mm-hmm. There's, there are various native viburnum, nine bark. Uh, uh, service berry. Now that gets, that can get a little larger. Uh, and the rest of these are trees. I just, I just did a, you know, like a really quick, uh, like spice let's go bush. To, yeah, Morton uh, Arboretum spice has bush a great, is a wonderful uh, tree. Yeah. Great list of native species yeah. to plant. Yeah. yeah. You would go to the, list. you just go there. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, uh, Midwest ground covers has a wonderful list of native trees and shrubs and they're a great place. Yep. Uh, and, uh, let's see here. Uh, everything has this issue though nine bark you know it gets powdery Mm -hmm. mildew yeah um but all well and we as we found out that even a a burning bush can take a hit 
in the winter. Right. Who, who right. knew? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Father Gila is is one. There's a, a right. smooth sumac. Um, um, Christine says ilex. That's a holly. Yeah, holly. Uh, now, uh, okay, you can help me answer. And there, you, you we've know. got like three more questions here, too. Oh, okay, let's go real quick. Uh, I was going to ask about Tars- hollies and pH, soil pH, because mm-hmm. the book the books tell you that hollies and blueberries and rhododendrons, they all want acidic pH, and yet people grow hollies here, and they survive, but they don't thrive the way they should. I they? have a holly, and it died back quite a bit this year as well. Uh, I never see hollies in really great condition where whereas on the pacific coast you can right. see them where it's acidic there'll be a whole tree holly trees right christine says native holly well but they're native again i believe they they want acidic ph yeah, yeah. so what other questions real quick uh tar spot on maples what do we do with the leaves or how do we avoid and how do we avoid or treat tar spot and then what do we do with leaves that have fallen well, tar spot's a late season fungus that it creates these little black rings on all different maple species, Norway, silver. Um, it's not a fungus that really causes a lot of problems. Doesn't really. You know, it's unsightly though, and it's it, unsightly. Yeah. it falls on people's cars right, and they right. freak out. <laughs> From the leaves falling on the cars, yeah, uh, yeah, because they got the tar spot on them, right, and, and it, it shouldn't really impact anybody. I, I went to a garden property. club last year when there was a lot of tar spot here in the Midwest. Uh-huh. All right. And a woman said, "Oh, that we've got tar spot up and down the block." One of our our neighbors fixed it, and I said, "What'd she do? She cut down all of her trees." And I said, "That's a little overreacting, yeah. don't you think?" I mean, you can rake up the leaves and try to reduce the spores, but uh, it's an airborne spore that that hits the trees when it's later in the year. So uh, we never really treat for tar spot; it's mm-hmm. not necessary. But uh, but you... these are the kinds of things, and we have two minutes left. Mm-hmm. The, and I want to let's let's make a point here. Which is, we talked about galls, we talked about anthracnose, we talked about tar spot. These are cosmetic problems. A lot of the problems you see on your tree don't need treatment. They happen because of the the weather conditions mm-hmm. for a particular year. But folks need to know what the difference is between a serious disease or insect problem like emerald ash borer mm-hmm. and tar spot. Right. But there are fungal diseases like apple scab on crab apples that cause early defoliation and then if that continues over time it causes the tree to decline and die back eventually and and there's there's a pruning fix for that one cut at the base okay <laughs> you know and you can no and i tell people that it's it's you know if you got an apple uh, crab apple that gets uh, apple scab every year do yourself a favor cut it down and get one that is resistant to the disease because there are so many varieties now this is what they've done over the last 20 years right there's i think over 600 crab apple varieties out there right and a lot of them are resistant to apple scab and you never have to spray again and you don't have to deal with that hear that music we're done here uh this was wonderful scott stringer arborist representative from bartlett tree experts as always because every tree needs a champion go to bartlett.com thank you so much for coming into the studio thank you very much for having me it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki more to come captain's log started 42326.1 the enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form mr wolf status report inexplicable captain they appear to be perambulating vegetables we are being stalked by stalks of asparagus that is incorrect mr Wolf. asparagus officinalis or killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author mike novak mike novak 
I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Here we are in the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Before we get to our guests who are already in studio here, we got a comment from Scott Jamison from Bartlett Tree Experts. He says, I don't recommend cutting down a beautiful old crab apple that's in its glorious maturity. Simply needs a few treatments to keep it beautiful. In jail. In jail. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Scott. Okay. You're you're the arborist in the room. Uh, I'm telling you, there's some great new varieties out there that don't get that apple scab, and you might want to move on to those. But, hey, but that's just that me. one in addition to it. Uh, no, but you're still getting apple scab. Uh, we're, we're, okay. And the other thing was uh, we we got the. Uh, Email from uh, Christine Nye at the Shed Aquarium about Ilex verticillata, uh, which is uh, the, uh, the uh, what do they call that? Oh, what's the common name? They don't even give it a common name here at the Missouri Botanical Garden. You're not helping me, Missouri Botanical Garden. Winterberry, there we go. Winterberry. And, yeah, it's a deciduous holly. It's native to eastern North America. Typically occurs in swamps, damp thickets, low woods, and along ponds and streams. Um, and it does prefer acidic soil and loamy soil, although it can survive in clay and other things. Uh, yeah, you're right. If you're going to get a, a, an Ilex, which is a holly, that's the one. Uh, you might still have some issues, although she says it does great. So uh, that's the one. If I were going to get one for Chicago area, Winterberry is the one. All right, we're on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and look at these folks in the studio. Um, we're here to talk climate change now don't everybody run screaming mm. from actually i call it climate crisis now mm-hmm. I've, I've moved on i don't I, I don't even want to call it because i read a story recently that said uh that's the only way you get people's attention now you say climate change they huh. think it's kind of benign and it's it's almost friendly you got to say climate crisis i mean it's Marketing is everything, as you know, Christine Esposito, because you're the founder of Terracom, which yep. is an environmental PR firm. Uh, you've been doing this a long time, haven't you? Yes, I founded Terracom in 1990 to help uh, increase the impact of green organizations. Uh, I've worked with you before, and you see, here's the thing, though. When I, when I found out about what you're doing here, and we'll get to Third Coast Disrupted Artists and Scientists on Climate, which mm-hmm. is a project you're working on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at uh, your site and thinking, 
you know, this is not what PR people are supposed to do. You're just supposed to take somebody's <laughs> communications. You're supposed to take somebody's product and sell it for uh. them. And you're creating things. That's not good. What's going on here? Oh, but it is good. You know, <laughs> this is a natural evolution. You know, I started Terracom specifically for mission driven purposes. So to advance, you know, to heighten the impact of green organizations and, uh, 20, 25 years into the business, I mm-hmm. thought, you know, I think we need new ways to engage people with critical environmental issues and uh, did some soul searching, did some research and happened upon some work that inspired me to use science inspired art as a way to engage people and be a springboard for learning about these important issues like especially climate change. Yeah. And with you in the studio is the guy with the beard. I'll have you know, yeah. Liam Hinahan, uh, I cannot grow a beard, so I will huh. never look like that. I look yeah. at those guys all, you know, they're all growing beards now. Yeah. John Stewart and, uh, Dave, uh, Letterman. Letterman. Letterman yeah. And yeah. they all got these huge beards. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, I, and I look at that. You're just doing that to show off because I cannot grow a beard. There's yeah. nothing here. All right. I mean, if I'd known we were streaming live, I would have trimmed the hedge a little bit. <laughs> You got the same problem, yeah. though, that I do, is that under yeah. the lights, your top of your head uh, just kind of disappears. Huh. Yeah. That's yeah. what I find yeah. in the lights here with the fluorescence. <laughs> and if we take a photo, yeah. I got so much white on top that there's just nothing I can do about it. Uh, but <laughs> it's, Le- it's always winter <laughs> <laughs> on the top of my head. <laughs> Liam, Liam Heenahan, PhD, yeah. is from DePaul University, professor of environmental science and co-director of DePaul's Institute for Nature and Culture. We're going to get to this later, yes. but you're also, also the author of Beasts at Bedtime. Which Re- he brought along. Yes, I, yes. Wow. This, is, this actually is my wife's copy. So, Revealing yeah. the Environmental Wisdom in Children's Literature. It's from University of Chicago Press. And I have to, I, I have a bone to pick with you because yes, I'm putting my blog together yesterday and looking at the, the, the book and some of the stuff from the book. And you're yeah. making me cry while I'm oh, writing my no. blog. And that's yeah. not a good yeah. thing. I guess. I guess that's not a terrible thing because, I mean, some of us have these powerful nostalgic memories mm-hmm. of childhood, but, but you, which we forget. Yeah, yeah well, yes. And, but the thing was, you also talk, and I, and I, and I have a quote there. You, you sent me one of the things I should read, and, and unfortunately, no. I read it. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I read both of them, the Kindle, oh. the Kindle and what you sent. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. And, nice. and I'm thinking of my childhood and, my connection with nature, and it was a, a budding connection with nature. Yeah. And then you know what happened? My house got moved off of its foundation and transported to another city wow. oh, because yeah. there was an interstate interchange put in its place. And all my childhood memories, or most of them, are gone. Mm. Yeah. Wow. They don't exist anymore. Wow. Uh, except, the, actually, oddly enough, the park across yeah. the street is still there, truncated, but it's still there. So I've gone back a few times, but it's just too painful. Yeah. And that's kind of what you evoke, some of what you evoke yeah. in the book. I know you want to be more positive than that, but you can't help have some of those feelings. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we need to break here. Okay. And we're going to get yeah. into that, and we're going to talk about art and science. Love it. And climate crisis. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. When it comes to caring for your trees, you want the best science and the best arborists. You get exactly that with Bartlett Tree Experts. For three generations, training and education have been central to the work of this family-owned company. And Bartlett is the leader in safety. Whether it's your home or your business, 
Bartlett Tree Experts uses the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods. Call for a free estimate. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Smart farmers know that good growing starts with good soil biology. And you can't do better than with products from Tinyo Biologicals, the industry leader for 30 years, now available through Blazing Star. You'll find soil and seed inoculants, growth-promoting enzymes, foliar fertilizers, and biostimulants. Whether you're conventional, organic, or in transition, learn about Tinyo's biological farm management system. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. in December, cold in July, when it rains it pours out of a poisonous sky, in California the body counts keep getting higher, it's evil out there man, that state is always on fire, just been a hard day on the planet, how much is it all worth, oh yeah, it's getting harder, you understand it, things are tough all over on earth, you bet. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we're here to talk about the hard day on the planet, which is every day, unfortunately, now with Christine Esposito, the founder of Terracom, and Liam Henehan, Ph.D. from DePaul University. I want to start by uh, something I put on my blog. If you go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K, you got Henehan, I got Novak. So there, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Everybody Trouble wants... Cues. You know, it's, yeah. we're so annoying. We want our names to be pronounced the way yeah. they're supposed to be pronounced. That's just, huh. I know. There was a, a piece that uh, Vice wrote uh, or had published uh, several weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, as I say, caused a bit of a ruckus in the science community. The headline, here's the headline. New report warns high likelihood of human civilization coming to an end within 30 years. Yeah. Okay, and they wrote this piece, and it was, it was, it summed up a report from the Breakthrough National Center for Climate Restoration, which is an Australian think tank. And Mm -hmm. it, it argued that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Analysis of the Impacts of Climate Change understates Mm -hmm. how much harm it'll do. And what happened was there was this incredible blowback on this. In fact, Vice pulled back the headline. They changed it, wow. uh, and they 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 decided that they would uh, they mitigated. They, they said it will start <laughs> the decline will start in yeah. thirty years, and 
uh, there are various science scientists who said, here's why that was bad. Uh, and I wrote on this, I mm-hmm. said, what do I think about the breakthrough report? I said, good for them. What about the scientists who are objecting to some, but not all of the report? And that's the other thing. They were not objecting to all of the report. Right. They didn't like the headline, mm-hmm. basically, and some of the conclusions. And I say good for them. And and then there's this other this thing that I've as I'm doing research, I find out NBC wrote uh, about a phenomenon called climate grief that our people mm-hmm. are beginning to experience. They don't know how to get through their everyday lives because they're so uh, affected by this. Um, and I said good for them. And the point yeah. is good for all of it because at least people are paying attention now mm-hmm. to what's going on in the planet. So yep. it leads us to art yep. and what you're doing. And I say, yeah, art has always changed the world. It Can it change our views of cl- the climate crisis? I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. And that's the question I would pose to you, Christine. Well, you know, this whole climate crisis needs all hands on deck. And all hands on deck also includes not losing hope. Mm-hmm. And we, th- this project, um, Third Coast Disrupted Artists and Scientists on Climate, it looks to do two things. One is to help people in the Chicago area understand that climate change is happening here and now. It's not far away in some distant place. It's not in the distant mm-hmm. future. It's here and now. Um, and there is actually already right now climate action underway, really innovative stuff that people are doing. And that's reason for hope and thus be a gateway to citizen action. And the climate scientists tell us that we need people to start talking about climate change, that they have this statistic that three-quarters of Americans, four three-quarters of Americans, they only hear climate change mentioned once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's hard for all of us. That's, to, that's to, mind-boggling. That's hard for us to comprehend because we're talking about it all the time. But, you know, they say... Like once or twice if, an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. If you don't talk about it, you don't care. And if you don't care, you're not going to act. Mm-hmm. And so the entry level to action mm-hmm. is talking about it. And that's what this project does. And it, it starts with, should I, shall I yeah, explain the project? Yeah, yeah. Sure. because you've been working on it for five years. Yeah, right? so i got to talk about this. Uh, that's all the time yeah. we have, Christine. we got to let you go. <laughs> well, this project is a sustained year-long conversation between local artists and scientists centered on climate change impacts and actions here in, in the Chicago area. And this, uh, this two-way dialogue is going to inspire new artworks for an exhibition opening in September 2020 at Columbia College Chicago. So there is going to be this exhibition of artworks that's a springboard for conversation and learning. There will be what we're, we're we're excited about this interdisciplinary you know problem solving and idea sharing between the artists and scientists and then also engaging the public in so many different ways in the project mm-hmm. um, through creation of some of the artworks there's going to be a public participation component uh, there will be public programs that people can attend and then of course coming to the exhibition mm-hmm. which will mm-hmm. be uh, on view for 2 months. Now being uh, a a year and a, almost a year and a half out from this you have no idea what kind of art is going to be produced do you? That's, or do you? That is some of the excitement. Well, yeah, we okay. know we know the kinds of art that the artists we're working with yeah. have produced. Um but that is, you know, we don't know what aspects of the uh, science they're going to pick up on that's going to inspire them and resonate with them and uh, but we know enough about the artists, and we know enough about what the scientists are, uh, what what they are involved with, 
that we have some idea that it's very likely we'll have artworks that, re- that respond to the mm-hmm. way climate change mm-hmm. is impacting people, plants, and animals here in the Chicago area. All right, Liam, how yeah. do you come into this? Well, you know, I'm not as much of a hope guy maybe as Christine and I. Uh, to, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, there's my, you know, my spiritual partner. I'm, there. Uh, I was going to say Irish. something like that. Yeah, I'm Irish. I don't, I don't think about the future in those uh, terms, but. I will say what kind of inspires me is the dialogue, kind of the dialogical part of this. Yes. You know, the idea that we don't know exactly what the particularities of these pieces are going to be. Right. But we know the partners that we have kind of recruited both on the science end mm-hmm. and on the artistic end. And I think for us as kind of participants, but not kind of at the kind of artistic creative side, mm-hmm. we're really interested in seeing how those dialogues between scientists and artists mature each other's thinking so that ultimately, you know, in a year from now, kind of, you know, as we get closer to the exhibition, we'll really see how kind of a vigorous exchange between two types of intellectual communities are going to transform, you know, the work of the artists and hopefully in turn will transform the work of the scientists. Yes. And here I am. I'm I'm trying to imagine. Here's the problem. I'm trying to imagine what kind of art can move people to take action. All right. The good news is you don't know until you see the art. And I'm aware of that because Mm -hmm. I've done and seen that kind of art before. Mm -hmm. I'm the prosaic guy right now just, you know, talking about it on a radio show. I want people to be inspired. And I have no idea Mm -hmm. how that's going to happen. So that's where you guys come in. But I I was really interested in i mean how you started out our conversation was with these memories of childhood and i think we both like so we know in fact that our kind of emotional connection to the world really founds our kind of responses and our action and so your kind of nostalgia about childhood or your the the trials and tribulations of knowing that the world has changed so dramatically in your lifetime that's a lot of of what art does you gets taken away yeah And so, you know, art is, you know, one of our best media, of Mm -hmm. course, for thinking about the emotional register of our reaction to the Mm -hmm. world. Yes, yes. And this artwork isn't necessarily going to be, you know, advocacy via the artwork. It's going to be whatever about this rich topic resonates with these artists that can be just another another way for someone to look at something and Mm -hmm. kind of go, hmm. Yeah. And ask some questions. Yeah. Well, and you hope more than that. Well, yes. That's the start point. <laughs> well, but we're, we're beyond the hmm phase already. It's, uh, you know, and we I know are. you can't, con- I know everybody in the room is, all right. Uh, and I imagine the artists you uh, yes. employ will yes. be as well. Exactly. It's the rest of the darn planet. We've got to right. get involved in this. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. you know, what you hope is that it, you know, that there are tentacles, yeah. if you will, from this project that, that, that this is a starting point yeah. that, um, you know, somebody Columbia typically has, you know, 7,500 people come to their exhibitions. Yeah. So those people start talking to their friends. I saw this interesting exhibition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really got me thinking about flooding in the Chicago area and really how that's an indication yeah. that things really are changing. Yeah. Here. And if something strikes that emotional chord, that yes. might be you the catalyst kind of power, to take action. Yeah. I, I would say, like, I've been teaching at DePaul 21 years now and 21 years ago, The consensus was pretty strong in terms of climate change. We may have fleshed out a lot of the details, but, um, you know, now is a transitional moment. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that's going to be important. Exactly. Bill Turk on the phone. Uh, Bill Turk? Okay. 
Uh, let's get Bill Turk on. Keep it short, dude. How you doing? Don, I, I just wanted to say the moment the moment I heard you guys talk about this, I had a dozen different ideas for uh, for painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, I. Can can Bill enter this, or have you already chosen your your artist? <laughs> we have uh, we have artists selected and scientists selected, but Bill, um, you know, we're always looking for ways to uh, involve more people in it. So uh, please stay in touch. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you could be the Absolutely. alt. You could be the alt version of, <laughs> of this, Bill. <laughs> well, yeah. Bill, no, and, Bill. And, and my point really was really was that this is this is the the, the type of this is the moment. That artists really need to engage, and yeah. and and I, I believe that this sparks the creativity, and it provides an audience for that uh, that that visual commentary. Yeah, that's great. Yes. And, Good on you guys. And we really see this as being at least a year long conversation. So, um, right, just having partners like yourself. In that conversation. And that's a really good point. Bill, yeah. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to tell folks to listen to uh, Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. This afternoon at 1 p.m., Bill will be back. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Bill. But you talk about this. Okay, two couple of things. Year-long conversation. Yes. Well, I don't know what that means. Right. And the other thing is the thing that pops into my head, you're going to do this uh, exhibit a, a year from September. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's another year we've mm -hmm. lost. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. we don't have any time. But you want to talk about frustration? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad you asked about the conversation because it starts this September with a day-long retreat at the Indiana Dunes National Park uh, where the artists and scientists are going to meet and learn about each other's work mm -hmm. and then engage in on-the-ground field observations. So that's the they meet each other and start their conversation. That's followed. Oh, and by the way. Uh, crowdfunding. Speaking yeah. of which. Yeah. 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 Speaking of which. Double tap. <laughs> we are currently in the midst of raising funds to help cover the costs of that retreat and you can go to Mike's page or right. go to inspire.depaul.edu, and no gift is too small, and you can become part of this community. Of you guys are actually disrupted. doing pretty well We're right doing now. Doing pretty good, yeah. pretty good. But, but you only have, have about 10 days Right, left, and we have $2,500 yeah. yeah. more yeah. to raise. So yeah. Wouldn't it be great it would be if we great. met that goal? It would be phenomenal. Yeah. I think you will. It's yeah. momentum. Will. Yeah. Go to my website, MikeNovak.net. Look where it says crowdfunding effort. Click on it and give them some money. Yes. Do it now. So after that wonderful retreat that you all will help us make happen, um, there will be a series of informal, what we're calling salons, where the artists mm -hmm. and scientists then continue this conversation while the artists develop their concepts and develop their, their artwork. So we're really developing a community of, amongst these mm -hmm. artists yeah. and scientists as well. And we're so excited about possible yeah. spin-off partnerships. More in. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And uh, just quick question, and then we get to Liam and his book. Yes. Uh, oh. Why is it? called third coast disrupted well one it sounds really cool <laughs> yeah oh my goodness me christine was so excited oh, about this title it's, it's I, I salute she's her. a pr yeah. person Come yeah on. the work the work that went into it it was a lot of work yeah a lot we had a lot of great input from a lot of people yeah um but third coast you know this area is referred to as the third coast uh, we have the East Coast, the West Coast, and the Third Coast. Uh -huh. But also, you know, it's a lot more exciting than Chicago area disrupted. And yeah. we want yeah. it to be <laughs> yeah. more than Chicago yeah. disrupted. So yeah. Third Coast disrupted. And I, if I may say very quickly, we have another partner on this project, and that is Lisa Roberts. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. the director and co-curator. Liam is the science curator, and Lisa Roberts of Natralia is the art curator. So it's a wonderful team. Mm -hmm. And then with DePaul University is a 
phenomenal partner and Columbia College. It's, it's well, you got a bunch of artists and scientists involved, and that's the other thing is that yes. you brought in all these people. We had only the opportunity to bring in two people here yeah. today. But, right. Uh, and I will tell you, Christine, we will continue this conversation oh, during the year. Mm-hmm. As we approach your retreat in September, mm-hmm. we'll have you back and see how things are going. That would be but wonderful. I, but I want to give uh, Liam a chance to talk oh. about his book, yes. mm-hmm. Beasts at Bedtime, Revealing yes. the Environmental Wisdom in Children's Literature. Yeah, Another thanks. great name, I might add. Yeah, that, you know, basically I got a name and then I just appended a 100,000 words to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I would say, you know, in my thinking at least, the book ha- has a similar flavor to the project in as much as what I was interested in is, you know, where is it that particularly children get a lot of their environmental education. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not through kind of being scolded, you know, necessarily, you know, it's certainly not just through kind of science education purely. A lot of their environmental sensibilities are developed through kind of their childhood reading. And my bet is, yeah, most of us in the studio here, but maybe most of your listeners as well will have a memory of that book that conjured up a place that remains special to them during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the one of the ones you the told Hobbit. me about was, yeah, yeah The Hobbit, The mm-hmm. Pooh. You talked yeah, about Winnie Pooh. the Pooh, Pooh. Yeah, yeah. And you talked about the Little House books? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it turns out, like, so the book, it really was uh, the writings of a man suffering from empty nest syndrome once our kids left home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why we, it seemed like these were reasonably well-formed citizens, <laughs> you know, and I started to reread like the library, as we moved the books from bedrooms to the uh, basement and discovering that they were reading pretty much the same thing as most of us read, you know, and most Mm -hmm. children read. But there's a lot more environmental content in them than we had imagined. So I started Mm -hmm. with Winnie the Pooh, but it goes all the way up to Hunger Games and and Harry Potter. It puts, it plants ideas in kids' heads, Yeah, Yeah, even if they're not uh, strictly uh, literal. Yeah, uh, and and look at that. We're out of time. So if folks want, I know it goes so fast. <laughs> uh, I want folks to go to my website. I've got a link to Beasts at Bedtime. You, you can click on that. And I'll tell you what. Really is a great book. In, invitation for you to come back to talk just about that. Oh, I'd love that. About that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll devote more time to yeah, that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, I wish we had more time say, because we've got another important <laughs> issue coming up, which we will discuss right after this. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Did you know a typical carrot travels 1,838 miles to reach your dinner table? That's not a sustainable distance, and it's a great reason to consider eating more locally. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Reducing your food miles is one way to lower your carbon footprint and eat more sustainably, which is healthier for the planet and probably for you too. So go to your local farmer's market and get to know your farmers. Consider joining a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, and get fruits and vegetables fresh from the farm directly. It's also a great way to stimulate local economy. Find a farmer's market or CSA near you by going to localharvest.org. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not so serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. 
It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants, indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. If you live in Chicago and you've been looking at the media lately, uh, you can't help but notice that there's a controversy involving one of our cherished natural areas along Lake Michigan, uh, and that is Montrose Beach. And, um, you know, what? I, I, I'm just going to bring in my guests because I'm going to let them explain kind of what's going on here. Leslie Bournes is on the phone. She's been the volunteer Chicago Park District site, site steward for Montrose Beach Dunes for the past 20 years. Leslie, good morning. Good morning. So glad to have you with us. I appreciate it. I get your newsletters, and so I, I keep up with this. And I got friends of mine who do a lot of work with you uh, as stewards at Montrose Beach, uh, and so uh, I, I do keep in touch with that. Uh, and uh, uh, one of these Saturdays, you're going to see me out there, too, and so just push me around yeah. and, and tell me <laughs> right. what to Okay? And Carl Giametti is uh, president of the Chicago Ornithological Society. Carl, good morning. Morning, Mike. Great to be here. Thank you so much. And we just have a few minutes here to discuss this, but Peggy and I looked at each other and said, we've got to talk about this on today's show because it's so important what's going on and it's moving very fast and we want to make sure that folks know about it. Uh, basically, uh, as I started to say, Leslie, you've been there for 20 years. In the last several decades, this has become one of the most important natural areas in the Great Lakes region, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Uh, We started working out there in the uh, late 90s when the Lake Michigan water levels were quite low. Leslie, are you on speakerphone? I'm not. Okay, there we go. That's better. We got it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I hear an echo. Yeah, all right, we got it fixed. Go ahead. Yes, so... um, Basically, when Lake Michigan's water levels were quite low in the early 90s, it exposed a lot of beach out at Montrose. Beach became very wide, and um, soon we started to see some very rare plants emerging in that area, and there were other changes. So that's how it all kind of got started. And then um, gradually, when uh, the vegetation started colonizing the area, we approached the Chicago Park District and asked if that area could get, gain some protection to see what might happen. And uh, the protections were put in place around 2001. And ever since then, um, the area has developed into quite a high-quality dune ecosystem. 
And this is among the rarest ecosystems on the planet because we don't see, you know, we saw this up uh, at the uh, Open Lands Lakeshore Preserve up uh, by Fort Sheridan where they have uh, freshwater ravines. You don't see that much on the planet. You don't see the kind of the sand dunes that you see freshwater that you have in Lake Michigan. So it, it really rapidly, as you say, became a very important site, didn't it? Yeah, and it was really uh, surprising to everyone at how quickly that transformation took place. I mean, we have some before and after photos on our interpretive signs at the dunes, and basically in about five years, it went from an almost bare area to being completely covered with high-quality native vegetation. Mm-hmm. And In 2005, the site was uh, placed on the Illinois Natural Areas Inventory, mm-hmm. That's a list of the highest quality natural areas in the state, um, and that's because the site features important elements of our natural heritage, plants, uh, birds, a very rare wetland type uh, called a pan, which only exists around the Great Lakes. And the Illinois Department of Natural Resources estimates there are only about 250 acres of this wetland type in the world. All right, so it is important, and, and people began to understand that, and from what I understand, you got more and more volunteers over the past couple of decades who have been interested in figuring out how to keep this area safe because it's a very popular spot with lake uh, goers mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago because it it has beach and, and a harbor and a harbor uh, and open area where there were soccer fields and there have been mm-hmm. concerts. And people come to picnic and, and, and exactly hang out. All of that stuff goes on. So now you have to live in harmony somehow. How do right. you, how One do, of the things that makes it so amazing is that it is located in such a dense urban area, and we do coexist with so many activities out there at Montrose. Montrose Beach is Chicago's largest public beach, and there are just so many different user groups in that area, as you mentioned, uh, quite a few. And actually on the beach, we're at the far east end of the beach, and at the other end of the beach, there is a very large dog beach um, where people can take their dogs. It's also a fenced area, and in between there's a large swimming beach. So um, to date, we've all managed to coexist quite well. All right, let's go to... Carl Giametti, who is president of the Chicago Ornithological Society, because this all came to a head with the arrival of some fairly rare birds. Would you tell us about that? Sure. So the birds uh, that we're talking about here are the Great Lakes population of the piping plover. Uh, they're a small shorebird uh, that winters down around the Gulf Coast, Florida, Bahamas. Uh, and then uh, there's a few different populations. There's the Great Plains population, the Atlantic population, both of which are significantly larger uh, than the Great Lakes population. So the Great Lakes population in the early 80s uh, was down to about 12 or 13 breeding pairs in the entire Great Lakes. So it was, it was you know, perilously, perilously close to extinction. Well, at that point, Fish and Wildlife uh, recommended, and it was successfully listed uh, on the Federal Endangered Species List. Uh, through captive breeding and habitat pres- uh, expansion and preservation, uh, their numbers have slowly grown to 68 uh, uh, breeding pairs, I believe, uh, in the last census a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I think, I believe it was a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, um, this particular pair that showed up at Montrose this year had started to try to breed uh, up in Waukegan. Mm-hmm. And this year, uh, around the end of May, uh, uh, early June, 
uh, Monty and Rose, as they've been affectionately named, uh, were observed uh, in nest building and some mating behavior uh, at Montrose. Uh, and that was really, you know, it's an incredible occurrence. I mean, they haven't bred in Cook County since at least 1955. So it's really testimony to the decades and decades of effort uh, by Fish and Wildlife, IDNR, uh, uh, the corresponding departments in Wisconsin and Michigan, uh, that, and the, uh, and that, the, that occurrence would happen. And the Park District as well? Absolutely, and the Park District. And Leslie, you know, can tell you, you know, the Park District has really uh, uh, embraced uh, this natural area. Um, you know, Montrose has become one of the nation's premier birding spots uh, for migratory birds. And as the habitat has improved, it's also become an incredibly important breeding area uh, for birds. Almost uh, quite, quite nearly half the amount of bird species that exist in uh, the lower 48 have been spotted at Montrose Beach. All right. And so enter Mambi, which is the city's only beach-wide fest. It's a music fest uh, moving from Oakwood Beach on the south side to the north side, uh, at Montrose Beach, and it's expected to bring about 50,000 fans uh, in, in three stages, a couple of days. And it's hard to, for me, as a layperson, to imagine that it doesn't cause some kind of disruption to this natural area. And, and let's be clear, folks, we're not talking about two birds. We're talking about several decades of work to bring this area uh, and restore it to one of the the, the foremost uh, freshwater areas, natural areas in the world. All right, so it's not you know I, I think par- part of the the perception has been wow these two darn and I saw this in the Pacific Northwest yeah. west with the spotted owl and and you know oh those darn birds. Uh, it's about protecting our natural areas in the 21st century, which we really really need. So. What kind of disruption, Leslie, do you see happening to the area if this concert comes in? Well, the dune swale ecosystem, and in fact the entire beach, especially um, with climate change and the higher water levels, are extremely sensitive ecosystems. And um, just the presence of that many people is going to be damaging, uh, trampling, litter, especially the loud noise, which disrupts bird nesting. Um, and it just is completely inappropriate on that beach. Uh, so, Well, and let me ask you, this is a decision to be made by the Park District. And having talked uh, over the past week with a number of people uh, on this subject, they all bend over backwards to tell me how good the Park District has been about this. Yet they have the ultimate say on this. So are you in negotiations with them and with it's jam productions that wants yeah. to put this up uh are are you still talking and and how is that going yeah i think there are a lot of groups that are in uh discussions with the park district and the concert uh promoter and my understanding is that we're waiting to hear about uh the exact site and transit plans for the concert um, there are supposed to be some alternative sites, but no one is telling us what they are. And uh, actually, I'm quite surprised mm-hmm. that the P- Chicago Park District hasn't made a decision on this yet. Um, in the past, we've had some problems with large concerts and also huge uh, concessions that have been tried to p- be placed on the beach or close to the natural areas, and they've been very quickly uh, you know, removed or recited yeah. because yeah. of the importance of these areas. And I might mention that um, 
even if the endangered piping plovers weren't nesting on Montrose Beach, the beach is still a very important habitat for migratory birds, highly used, and um, such a concert would still be inappropriate for this beach. There's so many other places in the city where concerts can be held, and um, this is really the jewel in the Chicago Park District's uh, park holdings. So it, it really uh, makes no sense and is, is quite baffling to people. Uh, we have about a minute left. Uh, Carl, I'm going to ask you, do you think it could be as close as half a mile away and still not and, and not do damage to the area? Well, you know, there's obviously a, a number of different concerns, you know, and, and crowd can be a, a little bit easier, uh, more easily controlled at that distance. But there's also the sound implica uh, implications of it. Uh, Fish and wildlife out in New Jersey for the Atlantic population uh, in Sandy Hook, which is a far more stable population, over a thousand breeding pairs, decided to cancel an entire summer uh, slate of concerts because of the concerns of uh, sound. So the distance that the Fish and Wildlife advocated for there was about a thousand meters. Um, and so, you know, if, if you draw a circle radius around the beach at a thousand meters, it, it pretty much says that Fish and Wildlife has, you know, said that locating the concert at Montrose would be a rather inappropriate location for it uh, uh, based on have, uh, simply sound alone. I have to agree with that. Okay, uh, uh, Leslie, if people want to stay involved in this, how do they do that? Uh, they can co contact me through the Chicago Park District's website. Uh, there's a link that says Natural Areas. And okay. we have monthly work days during the growing season from March to October. Winter snow isn't that far behind us, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are already taking applications for this year's competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as it's in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. This is Mike Novak, and I just proved that the climate crisis is real. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio gets the goods from Fred Braun from the village of Niles, Illinois. Do you find yourself playing differently before you begin the winter season now? Definitely. We start earlier. We've moved everything up about a month. We used to do that in November, early November. Now we're doing it in October. When city crews are changing their schedules, you know it's real. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Sundays 9 to 11 on 1590 and 95.9. I get no Did you ever think this uh, might be the theme song for the planet? Uh, we just have to keep fighting and fighting and fighting, whether it's the plovers or it's the trees, the trees, or just climate crisis in general. We'll get to Rick DeMaio, our meteorologist, in just a second. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, has some great advice. It's not too late to start your containers. Heck, summer just started. Here's the best part. Purchase online 
and they will deliver plants to you. Who does this? Really? They will send you six beautiful plants to fill your 12 to 16 inch container along with instructions on how to plant them. You say sun or shade and they do the rest. Delivered. Boom. Done. Thank you, Ron Calgill. City <laughs> Grange is all about removing barriers to your gardening success. Complimentary valet parking on weekends. That means today, 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. City Grange. Learn. Shop. Blossom. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we've got the the maestro of climate, Rick DeMaio, on the phone. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, guys. You know, when I booked my uh, summer vacation for the southwest coast of Florida this year, it, that decision is looking better and better, isn't it? Which uh, vacation? When? For Florida in the summer? The summer, uh, the summer vacation in Florida. Uh, why? It's looking better. Why? Because we haven't had much of a summer up here. Oh. In the oh. Midwest. Oh, well, it's plenty yeah. hot down yeah, there, though. You you'll, you'll, you'll get heat and you humidity galore. To, oh, I, I couldn't figure that out because I can't even imagine. First of all, I don't want to go to Florida for any reason, but uh, certainly not in the summer. I don't get Well, no, this is actually uh, right on the beach, uh, the place called Captiva Island. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though it gets hot, the sea breeze is there every day. So the highest temperature you can get, like right on the water, is like maybe 90 degrees. So it's not too bad. And I'm, I'm referring to the fact that the last three or four years, every vacation I've had, whether it's in Door County or parts of the Poconos or upstate New York, it's always been either rainy or cool. And this year just particularly looks wet and cool. So I'm glad that I booked a vacation <laughs> down in Florida. Uh, I, 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 you can I get say, some boating in. Too. I say go for it. Yeah, you know, why just not? you know, enjoy yeah. the sun and let us know how you how you do. And don't <laughs> and don't get a burn. Okay, try not to get sunburn. Yeah, you can get sunburn around here. It's not too bad out there right now. This is going to be probably the next uh, the next two or three hours is probably going to be the best uh, time of the day. There's a lot of cloud cover down to the south of us. There'll be some rain rearriving late this afternoon. Mm-hmm. That'll be the get this guys the 15th day so far this month that we've had measurable precipitation. Isn't that phenomenal? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And June's not usually a particularly wet month, is it? Well, it, it can be from a standpoint of heavy rain events, but <laughs> we haven't had many heavy rain events. So far for the month, we're only up to about two inches, which is actually seven-tenths of an inch below normal. So we're actually running uh, kind of a deficit from a standpoint of rain for the month but that's only because the areas of heavy rain that have been developing across the Midwest and the Central Plains has just shifted. The last three or four days, it was down across central areas of Illinois and into Indiana. In the last two days, it's actually now shifted back over to parts of Missouri and northeast Oklahoma. So it's really interesting how this long wave pattern, I always like to talk about waves in the atmosphere, long waves generally set up weather patterns over about a three to four week time and the short waves generally gives you about three to four days so when you have your long waves you typically try to figure out what's it going to be like from a standpoint of beyond the 14 day period you're looking out three to four weeks and then you look at these little waves in the atmosphere that give you a three or four day events and the waves just kind of kind of keep coming and coming out of the southwest in the last couple of days they've been down across the missouri valley into central sections of Illinois where they've had nearly six inches of rain. 
uh, anywhere wow. from about St. Louis to Bloomington southward mm-hmm. while we kind of escaped all the heavy rain that was expected. Even though we didn't get much here in northeast Illinois, parts of the western uh, half of the metropolitan area got about two and a half to three inches Sunday night into Monday. And then from Monday night into Tuesday, there was another two to three inches that basically fell just to the south and west of us. So we've been kind of drying out a little bit. The one thing we haven't seen is sunshine and warm temperatures. We're running nearly three and a half degrees below normal. And one of those maps that I sent you, which is really phenomenal, showed that the last seven days across northeast Illinois, our average temperature in the afternoon has been a phenomenal ten and a half degrees below normal. In other words, we should be having temperatures up to about 80 degrees. We've been averaging about 70. That's at O'Hare. And for those who live along the lakefront, like I do, and Peggy does up in Highland Park, you're talking about temperatures nearly 15 degrees yeah, below normal. Uh, upper so 50s. It hasn't even been like, what's that, Peg? Upper 50s, barely 60. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually been cold. It's not even May weather. It's almost like late April. So when you get a day where it's like sunshine and 75, you go out there and you go, oh, my God, it's beautiful (laughs) out. But you go, you know what? This is what it actually should be three weeks ago, and we're finally there. So it's been a depressing spring without a doubt and a a depressing start to summer as well. Yeah, and and you're you're pointing out a couple of different things, uh, one of which is that I was looking at some rain totals from I say I want to say a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, that indicated we were only like three inches above normal, and I would have thought it was a lot, a lot more than that. And uh, and but as you say, the temperature has been so much cooler, uh, and that adds right. to it adds to it as well. Yeah, I, I think not only that, but also the cloud cover has been phenomenally extensive. You have had very, very few sunny days. Uh, Lake Michigan, it was reported earlier last week, up to 4.2 feet above normal. That's the highest it's ever been since June of 1986. And you go to the beaches, and there's like literally half the sand is gone. And not only that, but it was just reported yesterday by the Milwaukee National Weather Service Office that Lake Michigan, right along the uh, buoy in the south end of the lake, is 7 degrees below normal. So, again, it's almost like June has become May, and who knows when we'll ever get anywhere near temperatures that are actually sustainable uh, to enjoy maybe four or five minutes in the water. It's still amazing that people are going in the water, but not a lot. Just, yeah. It's been a slow start to summer in many ways. Yeah, and just, just the fact that the lake is staying so cold, as you pointed out last week, is keeping us cool, plus all the rain in all the soils. Yeah, and that's a good point, Pig. When you have 70-degree below normal water temperature, mm-hmm. you have cloud cover and a wind off the lake, the lake water is 51 degrees. You're not going to get even above 60. So in any day you're trying to enjoy anything within five miles of the lake this time of the year, uh, it, it's been pitiful. I don't know what it's been doing to outdoor activities from a standpoint of just people wanting to do stuff outside. Yeah. You know, the things that you go like, hey, maybe we should go to the botanical gardens. Maybe we should go to Ravinia. Do you want to take a drive up to Door County this weekend? I'm sure those people are hurting quite a bit, <laughs> yeah. in addition to the farmers as well. So it's really hitting everybody hard. All right. Let's get a forecast here for the week. All right. We'll start out with today's sunshine up until about 2 or 3 o'clock. There's a lot of cloud cover down to the south and west of us. So if you want to get some sun in between now and about 2 or 3 is when you're going to get it. Near 80, well inland, lower 70s within about, say, 5 miles of the lake, mid-60s right at the beaches. Thunderstorms around 3 or 4 o'clock this afternoon. 
Some of those could produce some locally heavy downpours. Rain should be ending after about, say, 9 or 10 o'clock. I think we're really on the northern edge of any heavy rain, so no big deal there. A couple of showers tomorrow, but mainly dry. 75 to 80 for both Monday and Tuesday with a stray mm-hmm. thunderstorm late Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 85, 86 degrees. Some nice warm weather finally heading that direction. No 90s, though. But it may feel that way with the higher levels of humidity by the end of the day. I hear a golf game. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to. Hey, Rick, we got to sneak one in. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to see how my work schedule happens. But uh, work? let me know, all right, Mike? Well, uh, okay. All right, thanks, man. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right. I want to thank all of our guests today. Scott Stringer from Bartlett Tree Experts, Christine Esposito, Liam Henehan. Uh, Leslie Bournes, Carl Giametti, and everybody who called and wrote. We didn't have time to get to everything. Just letting you know, we are looking at it. We pay attention. Until next time, go green or go home. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.